Gumbo listeners, we are back with episode number 129. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I have a conversation with George Crump, Chief Marketing Officer at Store One. And Store One is a storage software company that spent its first eight years rewriting foundational storage algorithms to create an efficient storage platform. And George started his IT career back in 1985, working for a company called Palindrome and later worked for Legato Systems in the 90s. Prior to joining Store One in 2020, George founded and was the lead analyst at Storage Switzerland, a storage analyst firm based in Texas. George ran that organization for 14 years. And in this episode, we discussed the evolution of the backup and storage industry why ransomware protection is key to protecting your data and backup infrastructure and also debunking some of the theories around all flash backups. So sit back, relax, and get ready for this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. George, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. All right, George, why don't you just uh, maybe open up by telling us a little bit about Store One. Sure, yeah. So Store One is a uh, storage software company. Uh, we were founded in 2011. little unique path to the market, though. We took our first eight years uh, just in uh, development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, uh, we really rewrote a lot of the uh, underpinnings and sort of the foundational algorithms uh, within storage. And our focus has always been on being very, very efficient, you know, make sure we run on the minimal hardware we get maximum performance out of the drives and also maximum capacity. Our primary focus has always been enterprise storage, but we have found some really great success in the uh, backup storage uh, marketplace. Uh, and because of that efficiency that I mentioned a second ago, uh, we can be very price competitive in that space, which obviously in backup storage you have to be, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a real good uh, entry point for us and uh, we're you know just solving customer problems. So it works really well for us. Okay, awesome. So, so you, you mentioned it, it was a an entry point. Maybe you can tell us a little more about that. And you've you've been around the market enough as well to have seen some of the history with backup. And myself, I have some some war stories and horror stories and all different types of storage. Um, just over the, my twenty year career in the backup and recovery industry, I I do remember when things started to shift with uh, with virtualization and VMware. And even before that, it was, you know, EMC, you know, I spent some time there and I think any and everyone who talks storage has spent some time at EMC mm-hmm. before. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, just backup is just so critical right now. And data domain, you remember that acquisition, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, I was yeah. around when it was happening. So, so from your perspective, how did data domain change the landscape uh, of backup? Well, I, it, you know, it's a, that's an interesting question. I think the because I was uh, at the time uh, I had left. I prior to uh, that, I was working at Legato Systems, and I had left Legato and gone to work for a um, a storage uh, integrator that had offices throughout the United States, and so I was CTO at the time. And, you know, tape was it, right? I mean, the people who backed up to hard drives were weird, Um, you know, and so uh, and then so these data domain guys come in my office and kind of 
you know, and you you can imagine the early days of deduplication. Nowadays, you know, when you say deduplication, which kind of nods their head, right? Yeah, In the old true. days, yeah, they, yeah, you had to explain it, right? And so, so I, they explained it to me. I said, okay, so wait, you want me to go to my sales guys and say we're going to save customers money by not actually storing all the data we say we're storing? Mm. Yeah, and the guy they kind of looked at me. And obviously, that wasn't it. But I said, you know, how am I supposed to translate this to a human? You know, and so, but as you know, right? They were very, very successful, very focused company. Also, I, I just from a business, you know, where they ran the business well, which I uh, also respect. And they, you know, they fundamentally changed the game uh, and made, you know, disk backup from just something weird people did to basically everybody did it. You know, and it was it was an overwhelming success, right? Right. So, yeah. And, and so you you were at Legato. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I think the act was EMC acquired Legato first and took over Networker because yeah, I was a big TSM guy. So I took on the challenge to learn Networker, get certified, and I have some really some really painful stories when I uh, when I did that because oh man, I don't even know if I want to talk about it here. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that kind of time, do we? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. And it, it was it was a bad Christmas. It was over the holidays too. I was managing two networker servers and they were um they were linked uh high availability. So if one server went down, um and it's it was supposed to detect that there was no heartbeat and the other server come up on the other site. Oh, you wanted it to work. I see. Yeah, I oh, did want it to work. Yeah. yeah, that was that was extra. That was an extra charge. They probably didn't tell you about that part yet. So yeah, yeah. I I mean, I did I did Legato. I mean, but you know, in the '90s and early 2000s, all backup software was hard. Right, Convault yeah. was hard. Uh, Networker was hard. Net Backup was hard. Uh, TSM was hard. And and mm-hmm. and you know, you remember back in those days, you had guys that were specialists, and that's all they did. Right. Yeah. I mean, they did. Yeah. You, you had a net backup guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he was sort of like this mysterious, you know, uh, demigod that would visit occasionally, right? So yeah. it's just a different era, you know. Yeah, I, I was referred to as as the Michael Jordan of TSM at at one point. So there you go. There I, you I got go. I got That's really good really one. good. Yeah, I got really good at it, and um, <laughs> it, it put food on the table. So, uh, yeah. and 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 also. Security wasn't necessarily a conversation that that we had as backup guys. We we only wanted to back up the data, get it off site. You know the three two one rule: make some copies of it, uh, make sure you know Iron Mountain came and and, and picked up the tapes, etc., and we could recover whenever we needed to. But now security is all you hear: cybersecurity and issues like ransomware, etc. Question for you: Just around ransomware, what are some of the uh, key requirements? Uh, I guess from your perspective, when bad actors are are targeting the backup data specifically, do you have any recommendations for the listeners as to what what can they do just to uh, maybe prevent that from happening? Yeah, I, so I, I you know it's a really good question. I, I think that this is something that is I, you know it's got to be on near the top of everybody's twenty twenty two checklist, right? That if you look at this, we're really now seeing. Uh, backup software uh, itself and backup data be targeted specifically, right? In, in the past, it, you know, ransomware is kind of clumsy. It would walk the file system and occasionally trip into an SMB mounted or an NFS mounted backup store, right? Uh, we have now documented cases. In fact, there's one going on right now in Europe uh, where the, the bad actor, before they planted the ransomware uh, trigger file, 
they actually went in and disabled, uh, well, essentially erased the uh, backup configuration files and the backup data, right? And, and then they put the trigger file in. So they're getting smarter and smarter. And so you've got to do things, uh, you know, very differently in, the, in that space, right? So it is not, so A, I think you've got to make sure your date, the backup data itself is immutable, right? It can't, so it can't be changed. And, and that's not as easy, like, you know, that's not like, oh, check, you know, immutability, because you do need to change your backup data. You just need to make sure the right thing is changing it. Uh, and then the, the second thing that I think is now becoming more critical is the, the volume that whatever your backup application would use to um, store its metadata, right? It's the data about the data, the indexes, the databases, everything it uses to track what it's doing. That's got to be equally protective, right? Because if, if you lose access to that, I mean, it's interesting the the attack I'm referring to, the, the, the tape industry is using that as an example of, oh, we'll see, this is why you need tape because it's offsite. Well, actually, no. If you can't get to your backup software, if the entire indexes are gone, I don't care what thing you have it on, you can't get to it, right? So that's a real problem, right? And so you got to protect that. I think that's number that's number two. And then the third thing uh, is you've got to make sure you have essentially a clean room to recover to, right? That you can't you can't really trust your production storage. Uh, immediately, right? The, the normal, you know, back in your or my days as, as being backup guys, if something went wrong with the server, we just start restoring. We, you know, of course, in tape days, we would cross our fingers that would actually work, but, you know, right. we, we would just restore to whatever the failed uh, storage system was. I, I, you can't really do that yet because you have to go in, look at that storage system, make sure you've removed all the um, uh, malware, right? I mean, the, the what we've seen is the ransomware file, trigger files, they will replicate themselves so that they can keep the process going, right? So you don't know if that that volume or whatever you're going to recover to has been totally cleansed yet, at least not 100%. So we also think you need, you know, I call it a clean room, but you need basically a clean data store that hasn't been, you know, that you know for a fact hasn't been uh, hit. So I think those are really the three big changes. Uh, and you've got to just be aware of it. And, you know, the good news is, by the way, all of this works in all the other sort of disasters you might face, right? We use ransomware as sort of the poster child nowadays. But for any almost anything else you hit, this this applies, right? So you, you can survive a ransomware attack and recover quickly. Your chances of surviving anything else also uh, uh, improve. Yeah, let, let's pick on some of the traditional guys. You know, I, I guess we are traditional guys too, right? But I'm, I'm talking more some of the mm-hmm. older backup and recovery players out there. Uh, we, we all we all know their names, right? And, and the market is the way it is today because they have paved the way sure. to some of these uh, sexier products that are out there that are software as a service. And, um, you know, there's no hardware to install or there's an appliance to install and, it's all quick and fast and a couple clicks that you can get it up and running. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just from a, a ransomware perspective as well, you know, what, what are some of the issues that you're seeing with, um, let's say, traditional backup storage systems when customers are trying to implement a ransomware recovery strategy? Sure. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things. So first of all, most still do not have a, a good immutability story, if you will. It, what I tend to see in the market now mm-hmm. is you have sort of the 
traditional backup appliance, again, the names we know. Uh, but you also see, a, 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 I think, frankly, we see more of sort of a, a generic NAS approach, you know, so probably something built on top of NFS or Berkeley Fast File Systems, okay. not NFS, ZFS, mm-hmm. but something of that nature, right? Because the backup software, you know, to your point earlier, backup software has gotten really good over the last five, six yeah. years, right? I mean, it does a lot of amazing things that if you and I in, you know, the early uh, 2000s, 1990 era had those kind of capabilities, we would have thought, you know, we were in heaven, right? So, so, so it, so that sort of attempts people, I think, to use uh, cheap NAS, uh, which I think has, you know, it has virtually no immutability capabilities and has a lot of other uh, issues. And, and then the, the final thing is immutability is important, right? But as, as I said earlier, you do have to be able to change all this data, right? So you have to make it immutable and not immutable for the right uh, access, right? And so you just can't blanketly say, okay, I'm never going to let you change data again. Well, how are you going to do a block level incremental backup if you can't update data, right? And most of the world spins on block level incremental backups or change block track backups now, right? So you've got to be able to manage that process. And then beyond that, I think, you know, the, to me, the ways you, you beat ransomware is number one, you protect data much more frequently than you ever have, right? The, the, clearly once a night backup is not enough. Uh, you know, we suggest that given, you know, these capabilities of the new software packages, you fire backups off every hour if you can, maybe even every 30 minutes, right? Because you're only going to back up a small subset of data, so it doesn't matter. You got to make sure your backup hardware can handle that different type of ingest, right? Because, again, you know, you go back to the TSM Legato days, it was one big monster job that went from, you know, 6 o'clock at night to 6 o'clock in the morning and you prayed to finish, right? Now, you, you know, we see customers sending hundreds uh, of data streams an hour, small, but hundreds of them. And it's a different type of job. It's not really random IO, but it's like very semi-sequential, right? So that's a different thing that you got to be prepared for. Uh, and then I think, again, you go back to that recovery, right? The uh, I, I always kind of get a little uh, annoyed when people say it's not about backup, it's about recovery. Well, it is kind of about backup because if you don't have a good backup, there's nothing to recover from. So you got to nail both sides of the coin. On the recovery side, though, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to get back quick, and you and again, you've got to have that clean room, if you will, uh, to recover to. And the I think the pressure to do this quick uh, is higher in ransomware. What I've seen, and this goes, you know, kind of you had mentioned my mm-hmm. um, time as a as an analyst. We we I helped navigate about six different companies through a ransomware attack. Uh, prior, you know, over the last four or five years, and what we saw interestingly was there was pressure, really from the CFO, who said, "Look, I'll just pay the ransom. You guys are taking too long." <laughs> so now, yeah. not only do you have all this pressure on you, now you got your CFO saying, oh, "I'll just pay the ransom." Of course, you know he's not aware of all the things that could go wrong with you know Bitcoin mm-hmm. and stuff like that, right. right? So anyway, so you've got this bigger pressure on you now to recover very, very quickly. And you got to recover to an environment that's clean. It, you know, hitting all of those things is something I think legacy solutions just really struggle with. Yeah, you you brought up a a, a few you know really really critical and key topics, and a couple of things popped in my mind just uh, from from back in the day, your RTOs and RPOs, and mm-hmm. you know taking you all the way back to DR disaster recovery, business continuity, and sitting down having a conversation with all all of the appropriate teams and making sure that you 
um, walk through scenarios and understand, you know, how much data do we need to back up? How often do we need to back it up? What type of media can we afford to go to go to, um, you know, flash all flash drives or, you know, all the different types of technologies? Or can we use tape and take the cheap route or send it to the cloud uh, as an archiving solution? Uh, but w one thing I wanted to shift into now, uh, and especially from your point of view, what, what are you seeing just from a uh, reg regulatory requirement uh, perspective and, and, and kind of meeting those compliance uh, regulations? Are, are you seeing things heat up in that space or are you seeing things slow down or what advice would you give to, let's say, someone in a highly regu regulated industry like financial services or healthcare? you know, just trying to protect their data? Yeah, it, it's a good question. The, it, I, I think I, and it's ironic that ransomware helps you get better at that too. Ransomware is a good war game, right, in, in some ways. You know, what I look at when I see the, you know, you, know and you only have to wait a week and there's another attack, right, that makes the headlines. And, and I look at those and say, okay, how can we help our customers not fall victim to that one, right? And so... There's one, I've heard different uh, terms for it, but the, the term I guess I hear the most is a sleeper attack that it basically either doesn't encrypt at all or encrypts very, very slowly. In fact, one of the customers I guided through that I had mentioned, the attack uh, was really bizarre. And what we learned was it, it got into the environment probably about six months prior to it being discovered. And it it encrypted in reverse order. So it encrypted the oldest data first, the data that's not being accessed. So if you think about it, it was avoiding detection by taking advantage of the fact that from a data management standpoint, you know, we, we, we're not as good as we had to be back in the, the 80s and 90s, right? And then what happened, so as you know, the old, well, 80% of your data hasn't been accessed in, you know, a year or whatever. Well, guess what? That was true. <laughs> the iceberg, yeah, right? Exactly. And so what happened is that it's finally somebody hit a file that had been encrypted about six months in, and the malware goes into sort of an attack mode and starts trying to encrypt everything. Well, it was very successful because guess what? It only had about 15% of the data left to get after, mm. right? And right. so recovering from that environment was very, very difficult because you had, you had to pull different files from different backups over the course of time. Mm, okay. Right. Cause the entire backup, you know, basically was, was encrypted. Uh, and so now, so kind of to answer your question, I, I think what you need to do is be able to retention now has a new value, right? It is to survive uh, clever ransomware attacks in addition to uh, whatever is going on from a compliance standpoint. So my, my opinion would be that you need to, have a, a mutable copy of data that's probably seven years old. Uh, and that certainly will get you, at least out of, by today's standards, uh, any ransomware attack. And generally speaking, meets most uh, compliance uh, needs. Right now, of course, the trick is how do you do that in a cost-effective manner? But I think that's what you're looking for is five to seven years now is, is sort of standard there. Yeah, and they, they need to make sure they have those conversations, right, with, um, you know, those cross-functional conversations across the organization. Um, the security team and the backup team should be best friends yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because, you know, InfoSec, they, it's it's such a, a different world now. And I remember, George, that backup and storage, backup and recovery and storage was a separate beast. Yeah. 
data protection was all security. It was all firewalls and, you know, just all, all of the security type stuff that the backup guys really didn't care about as much. But we knew it was critical. Um, but then things started shifting and changing and everything started converging. You know, hyper-converged storage and Nutanix came on the scene, VMware, start virtualizing things and deduplication. And I'm so glad we're not talking uh, dedupe ratios anymore because it used to drive me crazy. <laughs> well, we can we can do it 20 to 1 or 80 to 1 or, or 50 to 1. And it, it, it used to always crack me up because people would rant about the different types of yeah. reduction mechanisms and, and how much data they could store in that footprint. Um, so I, I digress a little bit, but no problem. Why don't you Why don't you tell me a little bit about? I know you guys have a, a new um, S one backup product. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what are some of the capabilities of it? Yeah, so the the evolution of this product is is interesting, right? Because as I said, we we have, uh, have and still are uh, very focused on uh, production or primary storage, but because of that eight year development effort that we went through. Uh, optimizing algorithms and things like that, we ended up with this incredibly efficient code base, right? Where most products on the market today, you know, you, you, you kind of know them for one thing, you know, we, we've mentioned deduplication, but there's, you know, what analytics, whatever. Sometimes it's, they support a protocol, you know, you've seen companies that, that are told the whole existence is because they can do NVMe over fabric. Well, I don't know if a protocol justifies a new company, right? So we, we really worked hard on these algorithms. And then what we, what we we found was customers started their journey with us as backup storage. And and, and we, we started to look into that. And we're like, why? Because we never really promoted ourselves as a backup solution or anything like that. And, and there was a, several areas. First of all, almost all of them bought into the idea that over the course of time, they could use this for other things, right? For for a NAS or for an archive or for you know a VMware environment, whatever. The second, though, is they they looked at the uh, you know kind of the convergence of ran- ransomware attacks, the need to you know you had mentioned reducing RPO and RTO things like that. And what our solution has is a a very small but efficient flash tier, right? So we bring a a small flash tier to bear. It's typically eight to 12 drives. We can get hundreds of thousands of IOPS uh, out of that a small number of drives, again, because of that efficiency. And so the what this enables is backup software that can do this sort of block level incremental or, or change block tracking backup. They can send backup to us all the time, right? Just constantly because we're, it's just queuing up on the flash tier. And the flash tier is big enough that I can absorb the whole backup and then sequentially and you know, very prog- programmatically, write it to uh, the hard disk tier, uh, and, and so that gives me a, a couple of capabilities at the hard disk layer that you know typically most people are concerned about. Right, number one is uh, it, it makes for very good read performance if I've written it sequentially. Right, it also uh, allows me to recover from a drive failure very very quickly. You know, I, we commonly now um, provide systems that are using eighteen terabyte hard disk drives. Uh, and we don't have any of the real issues that, that would you would tend to think of when you start dealing with these sort of drives. And that becomes critical as you start thinking about, okay, a 14 terabyte, the cost difference between a 14 terabyte drive and your know, 20 terabyte drives that should ship in a week or so uh, is less than $50, right? So why not, right? If, if, but people are afraid of these high density drives because of the rate rebuild times and things like that. 
So that's that's another big one. The other thing is, so, so you can send data to us all the time. We can retain it. So every single backup job is stored in an immutable state. So we we allow the most active job to be read-write so the backup software can change it and do the things it needs to do. But we, we store it, basically we use our snapshot technologies, that it's immutable. And so we're capturing an immutable copy of every single version of every single backup. And then we're retaining that version for as long as, you know, seven years or whatever. And so the other aspect of that algorithm work we did is we can retain hundreds of thousands of snapshots, you know, basically millions with no performance impact. I've got a production, several production customers now that are now at 500,000 active snapshots. So it, 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 it gives us a, it gives them and us a, a huge capability there. Uh, and, and so then, like I said, you can just run the backups to us continuously. We set it up perfectly. Uh, and then when the time comes to recover, you've got two basic options, right? We can, uh, most of the products on the market today have some form of instant recovery or, you know, where they're basically going to use the backup storage as a, a recovery target. Our software will automatically direct that recovery to that flash tier so that you're going to get production class performance. In most cases, when you do an instant recovery, you're doing it to a hard drive tier. And the problem is you're coming from probably a production all flash array or at least a hybrid array. And so the performance difference is just too great, right? That's sort of option one is you can really leverage instant recovery to do what it's designed to do. And then even beyond that, so you know, you had mentioned TSM, we're working with a TSM customer who doesn't have that capability. And we are, um, they're just, they're just recovering directly to us. So the other thing you can do is just create production volumes on our environment. Uh, and we can give you production class performance and availability right off of our environment, right? And so remember I, I said you, you sort of need a clean clean room. Well, because everything that hits my system is uh, protected by an immutable snapshot, and now you're creating essentially a net new volume or an instantly recovered volume, we know that those volumes haven't been infected by ransomware. Got it. Yeah, it, it reminded me of... Um double immutability so the back you know most backup softwares today are going to have some type of capability of immutability built into it um, and then you know your solution also gives you the immutability so it's like double uh, protection or i like that clean what is it clean room almost like an clean escape room, room. Yeah. yeah where they where your data can go to escape from from uh its normal uh resting place um yeah. so i might steal that idea Ah, feel free. Feel free to do so. You have any capabilities with with the public cloud, like uh, plugging into AWS or sending data to one of the, the big vendors? Yeah, we can run as an instance uh, in either uh, AWS or Azure. So that's uh, certainly okay. there. Cloud native. Yeah, and then most, especially in the backup use case, most of the backup software guys, you know, they have that support also. Mm -hmm. And to be very honest with you, you're you should just let them do that because then you want your backup software to know where all its data is. Right. And if I move it to the cloud, uh, it's, it may not necessarily know that that, that has happened. Uh, so we're kind of, you know, pragmatic about that. The other thing I wanted to mention on the mutability that, that we, uh, people are interested in is most of the time the backup software guys, as they drive is, as they start to talk about immutability, they're almost always leveraging uh, S3 object storage at least in my experience, um, we can provide the immutability across any protocol. So 
NFS, SMB, iSCSI, Fiber Channel, uh, even NVMe over Fabric, um, all of those are immutable, right? So if you're a customer today and you've been backing up to NFS, you don't need to change and introduce a new protocol in the environment. You can keep doing what you were doing, and we just make it immutable. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and switching gears again, it's and we have maybe one or two more questions here. Uh, but uh, obviously, the the great resignation is upon us, as they say. There's millions of people leaving jobs and switching jobs and changing jobs. Uh, what advice would you give to maybe an entry level um, IT person that you know maybe is eyeing storage or or cybersecurity? Uh, what advice would you give to them? Your twenty plus years in in the um, in the industry. What what would you tell that entry level person today? They're looking for something else. The number one thing I would say is, you know, a college degree is great. There were no classes in college, at least maybe maybe you went to a really good college. But when, in the 1990s, there were no classes on ransomware. And so I, I think you've got to always keep learning. And, you know, what, what has aided me in my career and, and I think other technical people that I've dealt with is they look at other people's problems and design and then think, OK, if that hit me, how would I? make sure it didn't matter, right? And so I, I would always pay attention to what's going on in the industry and say, okay, given the resources I have, how do I make sure that doesn't hurt me? You know, like that's what I do with every every time I see a ransomware headline, how can I make sure our customers aren't going to be impacted by that? And so I think my number one advice is, man, you just got to keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. And I think you learn more by doing it yourself than you do in a classroom, right? So I echo that sentiment as well. And um also, one one more thing as well. I've started asking. I am a big book fan. I love reading books, and I don't have as much time as I used to. But it, what are you reading these days, or do you have any book recommendations for the Gumbo listeners? Ooh, okay. Uh, so my <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my my current book is actually uh, it's a, it's a little it's a few years old. It's it's actually written by a guy named uh, David Limbaugh, mm-hmm. uh, and um, it, it is about the uh, I, I'm a uh, I'm a Christian, okay. and, and so it's about the references to uh, Jesus in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and how those relate to the New Testament, right? And so it's it, as you might guess, it's it's uh, uh, kind of technical from that perspective, right? Because you're getting into the original Hebrew and mm. all, all that uh, right. all that kind of yeah. good stuff, right? Uh, but it is, uh, I, I find it a very uh, in, interesting read. It, it, the title of the book is called uh, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Okay, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Yeah, it, um, you know, having great morals and um, um, not not necessarily fighting an eye for an eye, but, you know, treating your neighbor, you know, as you, you would like to be treated. Yep. You know, we, we need more yep. good humans yeah. <laughs> in the world today because things have gotten very crazy um, and... You know, just to, to have, you know, someone to kind of keep you keep you on the right path, to have something to read, the good book uh, is always a, another good one as well. But yep. typically I'll, I'll get answers like uh, from good to great or from mm-hmm. think and grow rich. You know, not not there's not often I get one that is a, a Christian based book, but, you know, it's, it's great advice. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Sure. No problem. Also, is there um, maybe a Twitter handle or social media um, that you would like to share with the Gumbo listeners if they would like to follow you or learn more about Store One? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so there's there's two. Uh, I, I, my personal handle is uh, George A. Crump, uh, and you can find me on Twitter there. I'll be honest with you, I'm not the greatest checker of uh, Twitter that I used to be. Yeah, I'm actually probably better, a little bit better at LinkedIn, but uh, one of the downsides of the CMO role is you, <laughs> I get offers. Yeah. I, apparently, I, I can't do anything because I get invitations all the time about how they can improve just about every aspect of my uh, marketing. And then the um, I can imagine the store one handle is uh, store one underscore Inc. And uh, we do check, we do keep an eye on that frequently. So either of those uh, great places to reach out. You can reach out okay. to me on LinkedIn. Uh, just George. I think I'm the only bald George Crump on LinkedIn. So if you if you go with that as your basis, <laughs> you get close. Just don't try to sell me anything. <laughs> uh oh. You already heard it. So he says, don't try to sell him anything, but yeah. he, he will accept your, your, your request uh, if you are not trying to sell anything. So, George, it's definitely been a pleasure to, to have you on. And uh, I appreciate some of the insights that you brought around, you know, ransomware and immutability and also walking back down uh, the uh, memory lane, you know, from a backup perspective. And uh, it's, it's always good to have those conversations. So. I'm sure the, the Gumbo listeners will walk away with, with some insight as well. So thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast. 